Welcome to the Atlas Project. It's a new world. To navigate it, we need new maps. Each episode, best-selling author Chris Katana and Scott Jones saw 50,000 feet above the immediate headlines in politics, economics, science, and society. The Atlas Project aims to reveal the big picture of where humanity is headed and the choices we all need to face. Chris, how are you, my friend? Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's not really, I don't, I, that's not, I, that, that it, does not help me. That's not incredibly descriptive. But isn't it? Didn't you get an emotional sense? I did. I, I did. You seem exuberant and enthusiastic. Okay. So, so I, I communicated. Like I communicate. We're on a wavelength. I don't need words to convey meaning to you anymore. So right, we, no, we've, right. we've been doing this for a while. Like I can just sort of, you know, shrug my shoulder and, and you get a paragraph of thought out of my head. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's pretty it's, neat. Actually. It, yeah, absolutely. Most <laughs> of human communication is nonverbal. As communication experts tell us. So there you, this is true. I got a text message today from a listener in California and they were saying, I'm listening, we're listening to the, I'm listening to the latest episode of the house project, really good stuff. And, um, it sounds like you found a home on Clubhouse, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I guess we did talk a little bit about Clubhouse last week, which is taking up entirely too much of my free time. I, I find myself really, when I have free moments, just hanging out in there. And uh, although I'm enjoying it, it's a very interesting place. Well, this is partly why we're, you know, why we're a great collaboration, or at least I, re I really appreciate it. I don't, I don't know what free time is. I, I mean, it sounds great. <laughs> I'm glad you have a place to put it. Um, but also, you know, there's a kind of, in some ways, my brain is a bit more linear and in some ways yours is more gregarious. And I think that that, I think that that complements it well. I, what I have enjoyed and we've started to do this week and I, I think we're going to keep doing it is, is, is um, hosting a conversation on Clubhouse uh, in between each recording of of the episode and it, and it's sort of an it's an opportunity to debrief from the conversation that we've had uh, and that we've posted but then also to workshop with our listeners what we're thinking about exploring in uh, in the next episode and you know the the kind of complex and 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 really like challenging questions that we're trying to trying to get under i mean it, it takes many minds to to map this this terrain god knows the two of us um you know can't can only can only make a, a an attempt ourselves and and having more minds from 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 more places uh coming to together to to to, to signpost where 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 are the important directions to to dig deeper uh i i i found really helpful and really enriching so if you're listening and you're you're on clubhouse uh, Monday nights at 9 p.m. London time. I have no idea what time that'll be for wherever you are, but GMT 9 p.m. That's when we're doing it, and and I think we're going to keep doing it. What do you think? Well, you're there anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I want to keep doing it. I we had a session on Monday two days ago playing for this podcast. I found it incredibly. I just said that. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I, I know you said that, but I was I was just wanted to affirm that it was very helpful to me as well. Um, and okay. So people, yeah, nice go jump on Clubhouse, follow us, and. Um, yeah. And also if you ever just want to like, if you see me on there and you're a listener and you ever want to talk 
you know, about the podcast or about ideas you have, you know, follow me and just say, you know, jump in a room with me and I'd, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts because I, we have a great audience and they're great to interact with. You know, oh, ability. it's a fantastic audience. And, and, yeah. and we'll definitely bring some of, um, some of, uh, of, of their insights into, into this episode. I know, um, that we have a club on Clubhouse as well, um, Brave New Thinking. So if uh, if you don't see Scott when you're there, find the club and follow it. And that'll be a reliable way to find us um, yeah. whenever we, we convene a conversation. So here we go. Let's begin our question of the day for this episode, which is, is religion oppressive? Th- this one was not hard to find. I mean, this one this one found us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is... And we kind of, I, we, I, I said to Chris, I think this would be a good, ep- a good topic to do. Part, some of it was just watching and following what's going on in Israel right now. It kind of probably sparked, I mean, it's a question I think about a lot because I, you know, trained in theology and, and stuff, but it, it, it I mean, it, it's such a complicated, seemingly intractable conflict, which Religion is to some degree at the heart of it, right? I mean, I think it's, I mean, there are practical political and land considerations and things, but, but, you know, part of the enmity is some age old religious conflict and, and yeah, I mean, I wonder is what sort of force is religion in the world today? And as you're seeing, like, I mean, just like looking at the news coverage, seeing these rockets, going back and forth, right? Like it's just arresting. I mean, I, I can't imagine how traumatizing it would be to live there, right? Where, where, you know, if you're, if you're in, in an Israeli, you've got these rocket attacks coming at you just in the middle of modern urban life. If you're Palestinian, you have responses to, to that, which are these, you know, kind of military incursions into your everyday life. I mean, it's just a very traumatizing reality. I wonder what role religion plays in kind of in in uh, in human flourishing, and does it even play that role anymore? And and I and I guess I mean it is it is um, moments moments of 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 flare up of human misery where religion is you know very clearly a part of the story and a part of the. Of, of the stage for it that that exactly that question um you know i think i think I, well i don't know if it forces itself into the conversation because it's just taken for granted but that's why we're here to 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 ask you know what what is the question that um you know religious violence in invites all of us to reflect on even if, even if we don't live in conditions of religious violence religion is a uh, a universal facet of 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 human society and culture and you know and in some ways has always been there have been different institutions and different religions but it has always been um a, a ritualistic expression of uh, a spiritual dimension to our being individually and collectively so it's always been there and 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 I agree. I mean, I I just at a you know before we get too deep into the ex- exploring the question, um, you know, I, I I totally relate 
to to what you've been feeling this week and 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 and, and watching the violence and and you say you can't imagine I, I the thought experiment that i do is what if i couldn't take my my security of person for granted so you know it's it's now evening here in london this afternoon i went for a run in in the park great you know wanted to get my workout in that that's all i thought about do i have time for it yeah i do okay you know get on my running shoes strap on is it raining outside no perfect okay that that's all i had to go and consider to decide i'm going to go and exercise because you know i completely take for granted that well yeah i mean what's going to happen i don't i don't need to I don't need, there's no app to check of, you know, are the missiles actively following upon my neighborhood right now? And, and the kind of entrapment that a lot of us have felt over the past 15 months because of the pandemic and, 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 and social isolation or, or, or lockdown. Well, imagine if you're locked in your home and you, you can't rely upon the, the safety of your person in your home, um, then, then where, then there's no safety. There's no experience of safety in your life if you don't have it in your home. And so, yeah, I think it is worth just taking a moment and, and all of us identifying with, with how, how traumatic uh, an experience that, that must be. Yeah, and you know, and religion plays kind of, you know, I know it's interesting because some of the people that are the most polarizing voices and both sides of that conflict are religious. And then some of the people that are really doing peacemaking and trying to deescalate the situation and promote understanding are doing it from a religious perspective as well, from lots of different faiths. So it's it's just it's so complex, so complex the way. I think religion plays a role in conflicts like this. Um. Jumping to it. uh, So, you know, we had uh, a wonderful time on, on, on Monday with some of our listeners, just kind of, you know, uh, admittedly sometimes stumbling in the dark and, and just pushing against doors and asking what, what does this question help us to reflect on? But on that last point you had where, you know, there are some people who are using religion to amplify this conflict. There are some people who are, who are trying to use religion and the, and 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 the kind of the the practices that it invites us to embody in our own lives to de-escalate the conflict and and you used this wonderful phrase <laughs> this wonderful phrase on Monday that I wrote down because I knew I'd want to share it with the world where you talked about you know like religion is at its best when it's de-apocalyptizing things <laughs> Which, bravo, by the way. I don't even know how many syllables that is. I've lost count. But to de-apocalyptize something, um, which is to say that, you know, what religion can do is to put things in perspective, in a kind of grand perspective, that makes a lot of stuff that we get really worked up about properly mundane, was the phrase, another phrase used that was so good that I had to, to write it down. And so... Like you and and so you see both sides in the in the conflict that is happening right now, like right now as we're recording, um, to the to the south and east of me. It is is religion about messianic cults and and establishing kingdoms, or is it about 
neighbor love. Yeah, and I think that de-apocalypticizing happens when... I mean, you the, say that so easily. So, yeah, yeah oh, I, it just rolls off my tongue. But I, the, it happens properly when, when idolatry is properly understood. Uh, of, of recent, of blessed memory, who recently died, um, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote really eloquently um, about this in several of his books, about just the nature of idolatry. And in the Judeo-Christian tradition... Idolatry is just sort of putting any created thing in place of the creator. So instead of uh, giving honor to the creator, oh yeah, Chris is holding up a book called The Dignity of Difference, which is a great book by Sachs, um, it, where, where it is instead of referencing the creator, you're referencing created reality, right? And so maybe politics becomes your God or sex becomes your God or con- consumerism becomes your God or the state becomes your God. And so the de-apocalypticizing happens when you're like, oh no, this thing isn't divine. It's a creaturely good. It's something that probably we should take seriously, but we shouldn't take it with um, ultimate seriously or, or seriously. Or the great theologian, 20th century theologian, Paul Tillich said, um, what, what religion is, is, is about our ultimate concern. And, and he would say God is sort of the ultimate concern of, of what we should be ultimately concerned. But then what happens is sometimes I think religion is used um, to sort of prop up idols it basically it's used it's you and and, and we, you know we we're talking about this monday and <clears throat> my experience as an american right now is that the culture war is fueled by religion i mean it is you know it's really interesting in 19 in 1950 how often you went to church or synagogue was in no way a helpful tool for social scientists to 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 discern whether or not you were going to go for eisenhower it was just not a tool that would have been helpful now it's one of the best determiners like w- of how you're going to vote and what side right. of the culture you're on. Church attendance is, is, is such a, a reliable predictor of where you're at. And then, and what we have here in, in, in this country is especially if you look in cable news, it's really interesting where you see people in, in the public eye that I know are religious and they feel awkward talking about it. Cause maybe they're at MSNBC or something. And then you have atheist conservatives on Fox who I know are atheists who wind up defending religion because that's what you do on Fox. We're the we're the we're the religious <laughs> party, right? So, so even if you're agnostic or an atheist, you have to defend religion. And so, so hmm. here it becomes this battle for: Are we going to be this sort of secular, um, you know, anti-religion kind of culture, or are we going to be this sort of traditional family values? You know, um, you know, Americans have we often romanticize our past and we would go back to the religious ideals and stuff. Right. The way I think about it is, you know, so, you know, every, every world religion has a book and you know, what you've described to me is I think about it, you know, are the people who are holding up the book, are they interested in the cover or are they interested in the content? You know, and if, if you're an atheist and you're on Fox news and you're talking about, you know, you know, religious values, you're holding up the cover and you're saying, I know this is our book. I have a copy of it too. I haven't read it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I have a copy of it. I want to get into that in, in a moment. Um, but, but just if I'm, before I, I lose it, you mentioned Jonathan Sachs and, and de-apoc- de say it for me. De-apocalypticizing. De-apocalypticizing things. So, and putting things in perspective. So here is, you know, the subtitle of his, of, of Sachs's book, The Dignity of Difference is, and again, think in the context in which we are recording this, how to avoid the clash of civilizations and how to avoid the clash. And Jonathan Sachs was, 
the chief rabbi of the United Hebrew Congregations of the Commonwealth for, you know, since 1991. So for the last 30 or 40 years of his life. So just opening to a random page, this happens to be 86. This is how, uh, how he talks about religion. To think and act morally, to do what is right because it is right, influences others. It begins to create a climate of opinion. Good, like evil, is infectious. We do not have to accept the unacceptable. The only thing that makes social or economic trends inevitable is the belief that they are. The unfolding drama of the 21st century is one of which we are the co-writers of the script. It can be turned this way or that by collective consent. Our aim must be to settle for nothing else than an economic system that maximizes human dignity. We must hand on to future generations a more gracious, less capricious, and inequitable world. That, that is religion trying to put things in perspective, right? Trying to make a lot of stuff properly mundane and say, like, this is the work. This is what we, we really need to, to, to kind of be about in our, in our daily lives. And so, you know, it's, it, it, well, I'm not sure where you want to take, where you want to take this exploration next, but it, it's such a strong contrast with how, how, how religion is sort of rearing its ugly head right now in the headlines and, 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 and talking about whose kingdom is, is, is the kingdom of God. And, 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 and that question and my answer justifies, you know, historically this fantastic justification for pretty much any immoral act that I need to commit in order to establish that righteous, that righteous kingdom. Yeah. And one of the things I really appreciate about Sachs was, you know, there's this, there's this great passage in the Bible in Jeremiah, the 29th chapter where Israel's going into exile in Babylon and the I, word I, I, I forgot that I need to bring a Bible to these conversations. Exactly, exactly. It's right from memory, man. I'm I know. Sure. But um, I think it's twenty nine verse seven or something. Um I think it's verse eight. Verse eight, right. I, right. I, I mean we'll have one of our listeners check that. Eight B. Right. Um, <laughs> that uh There is no eight B. Well that's when they divide verses in half. It'll be like eight B. They actually oh, will they refer do to that. Like okay, that there, yeah, there people in articles okay. and stuff too. Yeah. It's good to know. <laughs> no, but so basically the word that from the Lord that Jeremiah hears is to say to because you've got some people that are basically gonna give up their religious identity in exile, right? They're just gonna go, Hey, look, God abandoned us, we're in Babylon, we'll just become Babylonians. And you got other people that want to sort of just not assimilate at all. And kind of just throw rocks at this city and say, screw Babylon. And and the word Jeremiah gives to these exiles is like, take wives, plant, um, you know, plant gardens, basically seek the shalom of, of, of the city of Babylon, because in its shalom, you'll find your shalom. In its peace, you'll find your peace. And so the, this word to these exiles is, take, be, be a benefactor of Babylon, even though you're in exile, that, that throw yourself into being a blessing in this place. And through blessing this, even this this city that's imperial and is 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 has been adversarial, it's still in blessing them. You're going to find your own blessing, and, and and really invest in the peace of Babylon. And I think Sachs did that so well as a public figure. You know, his whole his whole the, the whole tenure of his rabbinate was this public, this deeply religious figure who had a deep, deep public responsibility and was able to um, 
talk across religious traditions and talk to people who weren't religious for the, for the purpose of human flourishing in the West. And I think that is so, again, we need more. And Pope Francis is another great example of someone I think who is doing that and taking that role seriously. But, but in contrast, we like what you're saying, we, the, the thing that is a struggle is we see so many people for whom religion just becomes another for, form of reductionistic ideology. And, and, and instead of de-apocalypticizing and, and, and de-tribalizing things, makes things more tribal, right? And, and, and more adversarial, which is, which is, you know, is where, where I think, you know, people like Christopher Hitchens had a point when he talks about some of the, some of the shortcomings, so, so many of the evils that have come about, um, not, not just in spite of religion, but because of it, um, those are not unfair charges. I think Chris, Christopher Hitchens being a, a famous, I mean, he, he didn't describe himself as an atheist. He described himself as like an anti-theist. Yeah. 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 I yeah. think. And, and I think the distinction there was sort of like to be stronger than the, an atheist being like, I don't believe in God. And an anti-theist saying, I, I believe God is a dangerous idea, Yeah, I think was, 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 was his position, which is, which is interesting. And I think, you know, if, if Christopher Hitchens were alive today, he would be doing a lot of commentary right now on, see, I'm right, you know, pointing to what is happening in Israel and Palestine. You know, see what we do in the name of religion. I suppose for me, you know... To contrast that with what Jonathan Sachs is saying, is to to say, there there's there's the cover, and there's the yeah. concept, and there is the the power of a a system of ideas and beliefs, like any system, like any ideology, to to marshal strength and support around an agenda and and enable you to do things uh against one another you know did do you remember this film the book of eli yeah 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 uh, that's a great film with denzel washington with denzel washington right so sort of post-apocalyptic united states and and there are these different you know for one of a better word sort of regional warlords we're all after this book, which happens to be like a remaining copy of uh, the King James version of the Bible. And, and I don't think it's revealed until the end that that's what the book is. But I think, it, I think it's really interesting um, post-apocalyptic scenario to say that in this world where like all, all of these structures and institutions have just been blown off the face of the earth that there are people who recognize how powerful it would be if you had a book, if you could distribute a book that talks about how to behave, that, that, that justifies a certain system of, of, of morality as an organizing tool uh, to, to give power to the agenda of whoever holds up that, that book. So I'm saying that what is happening right now in Israel and Palestine, what Christopher Hitchens was on about was that power and feel like that power is really dangerous and historically, you know, argue has it been used more for good or for evil. I suppose not the counter argument, but thought would be like that power exists in the world and in culture, whether or not there is religion, there is that power to organize people around story 
and 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 that is just sort of a function of our reality as social beings and so given that that power does exist you know at what is the best form of that power the fact the the fact that it is um clo- steeped within um a, a moral program that that tries to do a lot of good maybe maybe it it tempers what otherwise could be an absolutely terrifying power and i think it just i can't believe that i've actually now made a segue to a point i wanted to make um which is the the original um kind of latin root of religion which I don't know how to, I never, I didn't take Latin, but you did, I think is it's, it's religere, 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 which means to be careful. And, and I think that's, that's profoundly insightful to say that, that, um, the religious experience is, is an exceedingly dangerous human experience. This kind of, this kind of stuff that Jonathan Sachs talks about, um, you know, where, where we have the power to, to, to co-create the, uh, the economic and social patterns of, of our world, the, 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 these transcendent experiences, all of it is, 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 is kind of radical. And what a lot of religious tradition does is says, let's, let's manage this experience carefully. And I think that is part of the, you know, is it oppressive? I think it can be part of the good work that religion can do. Um, You know, not just the book and the creed and the cover and the power, but the practice of it. I I, I feel like it's maybe underappreciated in modern society that if religion plays a good role, part of it is that it becomes a habit, um, a personal ritual. You know, you go once a week into um, a very dangerous headspace. But that headspace is where you reflect on some fundamental questions of who and how you are. And God knows I, you can't spend all your time in that space. It's, it's like, that's just not how life works. I need to work. I need to eat. I need to sleep. I need to, you know, take care of all these other distractions in my world. I couldn't possibly function if I spent all my time inside a religious experience. But if you can manufacture, maybe that's the wrong word, but if you can establish for yourself a habit of going into that experience on a, on a, on a recurring basis, then, you know, just like mindfulness meditation today is something that everybody kind of talks about, that it can be, it can be that meditation for you. And that is the, if you will, the baby that gets thrown out of the bathwater when we say like, yeah, look at how much bad religion has done in the world. It's time to get rid of the whole thing. Anyway, long rant, a lot of threads there. Pick up what you want. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's right. And I think what's interesting too is that, and we got into this a little bit on Monday, and this is something that, that I think about a lot, is is the difference between um, pre-modern religion, which is which is illiberal, right? And, and just by nature, because there's no enlightenment, there's no liberal democratic norms and stuff. I knew and, when you said this is something I think about a lot, that it was going to be something that most people don't think about don't at think all. Don't think about, right. <laughs> but, but, but you just don't, you know, like you don't have, you know, it's interesting because you don't have, um, you, you know, in pre-modernity, you, you don't have um, 
widespread arguments for things like religious pluralism the way you do in the West. That's kind of assumed if you're, if you're going to behave well in the West, you can be religious or irreligious, but you have to be a liberal, right? In the sense of you have to be a classical liberal. I'm saying like that you have to realize that everybody's got the right to their own individual beliefs and expressions and to be part of faith communities that are, you know, diverse and different or part of no faith community. Right. And I think that is a big change. And, you know, cause you look at, you look at the conflicts today in the world. How often do you see two liberal States go to war with each other? It doesn't really happen, right? All the conflicts we have in the world are conflicts between a liberal and an illiberal state, right? Or two illiberal states, right? But liberal, like you're not worried in in Western Europe that there's going to be another massive um, world war because because liberal democracies just tend to not go to war with each other, right? We're just not going to, we're never going to have a military conflict between Canada and the United States, right? That's just not going to happen, right? And so... I think also there's 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 kind of liberal and illiberal religion, and I think by nature, um, you know, most all all world religious traditions start as illiberal because they're all pre-modern. Right? <laughs> they're all they all come and give an animating principle hmm. and spirit to society that wants unity and and doesn't place a big emphasis on pluralism generally. No, again, you have like you know, I'm not saying you don't have exceptions. You do have, I mean, the Roman Empire had some kinds of religious pluralism. Um, but even there, everything had to kind of be under the state Caesar religion, right? Like that had to get a kind of deference. Right. Um, and, and that's and why... Part of why we call the time we live in modernity is that we, we say we don't have to take these things, we don't have to take religion for granted. <clears throat> we, can, we can create a separate sphere called secular and choose what, what yeah. relationship do we want to have with, with that religion. So, so there's a there's a few threads to pick up there. Maybe to bring it back for a moment to kind of the the timeliness of this conversation and the conflict in Israel and Palestine, and you know, and and you mentioned you know sort of liberal societies that don't go to war together, and I think my my poli sci professor would call it democratic peace theory, um, and you know, and and it's kind of interesting nowadays that you know it depends what you mean by war is you know always the big the big, uh, the big debate that we would have, uh, kind of, you know, in 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 the uh, in the politics seminar. It also depends what you mean by liberal and and democratic and and with each other. <laughs> but it, it also raises this question about the the case of Israel as a a liberal democracy that is also a a a, a and, and, and apologies to everyone if I get my language wrong, but like, like a religious ethno state. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so and so the, the liberal dem- democracy aspect of Israel is is modern. The the ethno state is and the religious aspect is is pre-modern. And I, I don't know if there's yeah, another there's no case other, like there, that. There's no other liberal democracy in the world that says this the, our state by, you know, by nature of its uh, constitution has to be remain like seventy percent Christian, or has to be you know remain seventy percent. Are you sure? Um, we'll, we'll get Roman the listeners Catholic. to let us know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, right, right there, but, but I, I don't think there's no. There is in England. What's interesting, you do have an established church in England. But what's interesting is, you have France with no established church, right? But you have more freedom as a Muslim in England 
for religious expression that has a state church than you do in France that's completely secular. Interesting. Uh, just as an interesting aside, on Monday, one of the women uh, in our in our in our workshop, um, Melanie, I think, had dialed in from Glasgow, and I mean, there, there's definitely a state religion. <laughs> Actually, there's yeah. a conflict. There's there's Protestants and there's Catholics, and it's very important that you choose, um, you know, which which football team you support uh, on the basis of your religion, because your whole life is going to be defined by that conflict when you live in Glasgow. Obviously, there's some really interesting history there of, you know, Scotland, like England, being a, a Protestant society un, until there's then, you know, sort of, you know, mass mass migration out of Ireland because of, you know, conflict famine there. Ireland's bringing Catholicism to Scotland and, and you know, and, you know, and, to North, and, and, and the conflict continues today. But but I think I think the the special the special case of Israel is a I don't know if we had someone from Israel in our workshop and I'd love to I would have loved to have wrestled about that with with him or her is how does the how how does that kind of the modern and the pre modern mesh if 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 you're living in Tel Aviv, say, yeah, and, and and what what Judaism does, I mean, what by nature is 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 being Jewish a religion or an ethnicity? And the answer is kind of yes, right? Where, where it's kind of the <laughs> right, and it, but it's 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 unique in modernity because in other religious traditions we don't do that, right? We bracket out what your ethnicity is and your religion, right? So you could be an African American. You, in the United States, which I mean, you could be Muslim, you could be Roman Catholic, you could be Baptist, you could be, you know, uh, in, a, in a mainline Protestant denomination, you could be, or you could be no religion at all, right? right? Whereas, you know, what we're saying in, in, in the case of Judaism, and it's interesting though, because most Jews would say, that I know would say, even if you don't believe in God, you're still Jewish. Uh, you know, because it is kind of, it, 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 it's a religion that's an ethnicity, Right. That, that is kind of it's so. So. And, and I think it's, you raise a good. It's a religion that is an ethnicity that, you know, throughout basically the history of Western civilization has been under threat. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 so it does. It totally makes sense. Like the rational brain, I make sense of how how you say, OK, like, you know, after World War Two, we've got a chance to kind of fix some things about about the world let's give uh let's give the jews a homeland and let's let's enable the the kind of the the protection and the end of that persecution um i i remember year this is years back now and um being in in montreal uh, and kind of like living in community on a, a scholarship program and, and and one of the one of the other recipients of the program, this this Israeli woman, Liran, and we, we you know we were talking about. I, I was just fascinated, but I'd never been to Israel, and just you know the whole conflict, and 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 I was you know pushing her and questioning some things, and at one point, she said, and it was, I still remember it because it was maybe the most deadly serious, or or convicted, that I had ever heard someone speak to me. Um, 
and and I'll probably get it not my memory's not perfect now after all this time, but something along the lines of Chris, if history has taught us anything, it is that the Jews need a homeland. And and when she spoke that, that sentence or something very close to it, for, for me, it was a kind of, I mean, the, the content was, was arresting, but the delivery was like, oh my God, now I know what conviction sounds like. I had never heard something spoken that I, that I without, without any hyperbole, just knew that came, those words are, 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 are etched on your soul and, and that you didn't think them. You, you, you just shared what, what your soul knows with me. It was, it was profoundly, profoundly felt. And, 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 and so I, and I think it is that kind of, you know, quite, quite special circumstance of, as you say, you know, a religion, ethnicity and this 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 awful story of well where we began the the denial of personal security just never living under it never living with it with a sense of personal security with a sense of the inviolability the inviolability of my home um can we relate to that and what it drives us to to need to do to to create a solution that is 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 kind of stricken with contradiction yeah and israel is such a great example because it has all these tensions and and wonderful paradoxes that that make for interesting questions because i mean i think like 24% or 25% of Israel's, let me let's just make sure I'm getting this right. I think it's what is it? It's uh, you don't need data. Don't look it up in a book. Twenty four percent of Israel's population, exactly. I don't need books. No, twenty four percent of Israel's population is non is non um, Jewish. Most of them are. Most of that twenty four percent are Arabs. Um, a lot of them are actually Christians, um, and then certain certainly there's a good chunk of Muslims. But what's interesting is if you are a, a Christian. Or a Muslim in Israel, you have more civil liberty, really, and religious freedom than any other place in the Middle East, inside an ethno state. <laughs> so, right. so a religious ethno state. These paradoxes. This is where Israel is such an interesting question because, right. on one level, is it is it illiberal to say, look, you can never? I mean, basically, we have to have a Jewish state, so the majority always has to be. Jew, Jewish, right? right? That seems illiberal, but they don't they don't oppress minorities, re- religious minorities. I mean, it's not you have a lot of you know the same it's, kind it's, of it's, freedoms yeah, you so, have in the United States or England. But it, it, it is this it is this contradiction because we're a liberal democracy. That's why it has to be majority Jewish, because right. because the power isn't vested in uh, an elite, say in the UAE where. You know, we've got many million of people. There's only about a million of us who actually have rights. And we're local Emirati. Everybody else is imported with a different kind of class of, of residency, basically. But that's okay because they don't have a vote. 
So, so we can live with that imbalance. But Israel, we, we, can't, we can't possibly do that because that would be undemocratic. And so <laughs> because we are committed to being a liberal democracy, we must maintain a majority. A, a majority. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. Like, it's just an interesting thing. What do you do with that? Right. Because what how, how do you it, it's one of these interesting case study questions where how do you what do we call a state like that? Right. And, and how do we and how do we categorize it? And then how do you look at conflicts? And also, you know, you think about just the nature of, of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I mean, part of this, right, is also the legacy of colonialism, right? We're, we're you know, when, you know, yeah, there was, there was, I read something the other day that at the height of the British Empire, I think, I think Britain, Great Britain controlled 25% of all the landmass on, on the globe, right? And then when they de-imperialize, you got to figure out who's in charge, right? And so you and, and you get these kind of conflicts, right? That that oh no, they did it perfectly, on. right? <laughs> but yeah, now I mean, so this is this is and and again, these are these are instances where I think where religion can be um, at its best a universalizing force, right? That 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 sees beyond tribalism and things like that. But in, in this instance, it seems like it's feeling. <laughs> I mean, it is, you know, so returning to our timeless question, like, is religion oppressive? It, it, it really does depend upon its role in society. Um, so, you know, on, on Monday night, one of the, one of the people who was in our workshop is from Iran, Michael, and, you know, him strongly being informed from, um, from his perspective as an Iranian, Secularism is definitely the answer. Yeah. And maybe he had this great line that any idealistic regime, as he called it, any idealistic regime is not the answer, whether it's Iran or wherever. Because once, once your job as the authority is the pursuit of an ideal, that is very oppressive. That is very oppressive. Um, but, you know, what is the... So what... What... what what is the status of religion in society is a question that there is a, a wide variety of answers as you kind of scan around the world. If you think of my native Canada, religion is personal choice. And I think that is a very strong, a very strong um, aspect of, of Canadian culture. So Canadian political culture, this is one area where it, where it varies. It, it, contrast very sharply i think from from u.s culture you you don't you don't need to um demonstrate your 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 devotion bona fides um to be a canadian politician right you don't you don't you don't win over the votes at least in in, in the public debates that i see by 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 those kind of virtue signals of of religious practice and it, it kind of feels very awkward that we go into this. this is really an area of personal choice um so you know a lot of nordic countries i think are very similar this is a strongly kind of secular personal choice that you're making um israel religion is in some ways the raison d'etre yeah yeah of 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 the state there was a chart which i think i posted on my instagram last week and it was it was a graph that showed the relationship between like per capita income, so how rich is the society, 
And how often do people go to church? And and for most uh, countries on, on earth, it is a, there's a strong negative relationship. So the richer you are, the less, the less religious practice is a thing for you. Um, and Canada was bang on that line. A lot of countries bang on that line. Two really interesting outliers. Um, one was China, where despite, you know, improving income, still like nobody goes to church uh, because there, the role of religion in society is as the enemy. Right. Religion is the enemy. And then and then the other outlier was the U.S., <laughs> that even though even though uh, very wealthy, uh, a high degree of people saying we still we still pray. I think it wasn't go to church. It was pray. It was pray every day. And in the U.S., religion is, you know, is an industry. <laughs> but but in in a lot of other countries, in, in, in like in the liberal democracies, in modern in modern countries, it's a matter of personal choice. And the importance, the value of that choice seems to diminish um, as as you find other things to um, to fulfill you. And and I, I think, think that's a very something... familiar role for religion. But then everything, anything off that line, it 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 gets really weird. I think that one of the things that why the, why the U.S. is so different too is because of our constitutional tradition, where there's not an established church, it has made it a much friendlier place for religious entrepreneurs, right? So people, so if you if 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 all the authorities were the state church, right, it gets it gets a lot harder. I mean, this is why you know part of the reason. People emigrated, right, from Great Britain. The, the Puritans and other people wanted a place where they could differ from the normative Church of England practice, right? And, and the United States became a place where it was great for religious entrepreneurs, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why it's a much more religious state than its Western liberal counterparts, because people here, religious leaders here, are always thinking of new ways to, you know, we've got like these whole traditions of mega churches and all these things. That um, and you know it's funny. I think I t- told this story Monday. I have a friend who he lives in Birmingham, Alabama, which is he said. I'm sure I, I, if this was true ten years ago or so, so when he told me this story. But he's saying that basically Birmingham is the most churched zip code in the country. More people are are, are, are churched, but he's still getting flyers all the time for new mega church startups. Can, can I, can <laughs> the I, market is saturated. This this is yeah. a bit off off our off our big topic, but on this specific topic, I'm curious. And can you help me understand about, you know, kind of the phenomenon of religious innovation in the United States? And I feel like one of the, so why is it that, you know, I, I mean, here in the UK or, or in my native Canada, I think a lot of countries, if I said, I'm starting a new religion, the reason, the fundamental reason it wouldn't work is Nobody would th- would would say, "Oh yeah," and Chris has the legitimacy to do that. You you don't you don't get to start a religion. You can join a seminary or whatever it is those people do, and and I guess eventually, I you know most people don't even know how it works. You know, get yourself a parish, but you can't. You don't get to create your own religion. So why is it in the U.S. that? Yeah, sure, that's cool. That's that's an interesting job choice. A lot of money in religion. Yeah, I mean, I think it's our free church Protestant nature. I mean, uh, most of the churches that are growing are mega church kind of startups, right? Where people that are there and, and the people are very entrepreneurial. They, you know, they've got multiple services. They've got coffee shops and lattes and the thing. And you could, like, it's a very, 
you know, the, the, there's this tradition, especially in the second half of the 20th century in the United States. But again, you have, look at Joseph Smith with Mormonism. I mean, basically Joseph Smith in the 19th century, his, his mother was a United Methodist. His father was, um, was into kind of Native American spiritism and stuff. And so he's like, I'm just going to fuse these two traditions. And he said, I'm going to do what, um, for religion in America, what Muhammad did in Arabia. And he kind of, he became this father of the founder of this, it's, it's a minority religion here, but it's big. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's unsubstantial, uh, minority. And so, yeah, I think there's something about religious pluralism and liberty in, in this country that has exactly allowed entrepreneurs to challenge, like, we don't have the Church of England or the established state Lutheran churches like you do in Scandinavia or in Germany and stuff. So that just makes space for religious innovators. Hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, any religion you've seen was just started by some by someone here. And so I'm going to start it, too. It's interesting to think about, like, is it and what do you get? If, if I'm going to join a startup church, um, like, what do I, what do I get? I mean, the latte sounds good, but I feel like, how do I know, like, have, you didn't die for my sins. So like, how do I know that, that I'm going to be let into heaven if, if this is my pathway, right? Like I, I, I and I suppose we just, we just don't ask that question. It's. It's it's do we do we personally get value out of the practice, or out of being a part of this community? Is that yeah is- yeah yeah yeah? Well, I think what it is, and most of the startup churches in America tend to be conservative and evangelical, right? They tend to be more traditionalist in their preaching, and um, hmm. but what 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 they get is like okay, here's the you like to play basketball? We got a men's basketball, we got a church basketball league. Oh, we got a single. We, um, there's this there's this there's this group in American churches called um. Mops, uh, moms of preschoolers, and there are mops groups all over the country where these moms come together and they often have childcare. They hire babysitters so young moms can go and just have a couple hours of social time with their with their peers and get a little break from childcare and stuff. So those churches, the mega churches, tend to be so um, good at meeting consumer needs, like mm. uh, having all these sort of affinity groups and stuff. So you wind up, and they, uh, there's been studies, and they say basically. Because people are always like, the argument against them is, well, you, you, you don't build as much community because you're like basically anonymous in this big sea of people. But the sociologists have found, no, actually people are more networked in these churches because of these affinity groups and stuff. That actually these people find more religious community because there's so many ways to plug in that are particular for your needs. Right. And so that's where I think where these things become innovative. But then the, the argument against it. Right. And we're, as we we're talking about like value propositions, it, when you have a, a tradition, when you have religious communities that thrive on consumer needs, do they make better people? Right. Do they produce the kind of morally imaginative people that could lead the civil rights movement? Right. Or, or, or does some of the consumer catering just by nature demystify and sort of and, and make religion a less serious thing as far as a, and its public role for being a sort of vision visionary guide and moral center for society like I, you, you don't see a lot of megachurch ministers as big public moral leaders I and mean, it just doesn't happen very often so that's interesting so if you think about you know the established world religions the question that we find ourselves asking is is religion oppressive Right. Is the weight 
too great. You know, kind of Christopher Hitchens, what was his, what was his uh, famous line? I think I wrote it down here. Yeah, the main source of hatred in the world. For, for, for startup religions, the, the, the question is almost the opposite. Like, is it, is it corrosive? <laughs> is, it, right, right. Is, it, is it too much like candy on your teeth where I'm, I'm eating it because I'm liking it, but it's, it's not necessarily strengthening me? Um, it's not, it's not, it's not challenging me to, um, conform in, in, in a helpfully shaping way, my, um, my moral person. Um, and I, and I just, I don't know where to take that, but I find that fascinating that that's the. That's the contrast that, you know, we can look at the world religions and say, like, you know, on balance, is it the main source of hatred or the main source of love? Because the stakes seem so high. Uh, and, and for the startup, it's more like, hmm, which, you know, to bring this full circle again, you know, I, I think maybe strengthens this point of view that, like, I'm sorry, Christopher Hitchens, when you say, like, it's, it, religion is bad. Religion is, exists. It is a facet of 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 human social existence and it's gonna be there it's gonna be there um you know and the reality is in china it's there it's not called religion but it's a cult of mao or whatever it is there is there is a need to not necessarily deify but i think i think the technical word would be to to reify like to to exalt to a higher status of existence than my mundane life, some aspect of 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 the past or the present, so that I have an, a, a a kind of a hierarchical relationship with 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 something that feels spiritual, and that's going to happen. It's going to happen, and so and so the the project isn't. Do we throw that out, or 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 or? Do we do we keep it? It's it's what do we do with it? How do we yeah, work it, with it? Yeah, and it's interesting in America. In the United States is an interesting case study because there's this term that I think is invented from this reflection on American religious life. We have what's called in this country the tradition of civil religion, right? So we start with religious pluralism, right? So there's no so the, the state church isn't or the state religious you know spirit isn't Catholic or Protestant. It's not Methodist. It's not Episcopalian. But what it is, is that we, we, we have this, there's a great book about this. What I think is Will Herberg written in the fifties and sixties called Protestant Catholic Jew, but it's kind of a study of American civil religion. And this is what King appealed to in the civil rights movement, right? It's this combination of a belief in God that's non-sectarian, right? So you can speak to Christians and Jews and Muslims, and it, it blends in the God of the founding fathers, right? Natural rights and other things like this. So America, our, our, real, our, our state religion is civil religion, right? So it's, it's not atheistic. It's, it's a theistic kind of thing. Um, right. Uh, but it's, but it's, it, it's plural. Like it reflects our, our, our religiously plural kind of context. And I think, you know, actually, actually, I think that's a nice segue to, you know, so what do we take from all of this? I like, I like the metaphor of, you know, we've been, we've been 
we've been stumbling bravely on um, sort of unsafe and unfamiliar terrain for for the last hour or so. And, you know, and now we can kind of come back to the warmth of the campfire and reflect on 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 the territory that we've uncovered. Um, and, oh, shit. Now I forgot what I was going to say. Because <laughs> I fell in love. I fell in love with uh, with 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 my own metaphors, which God, that must happen a lot. I apologize to listeners how often I'm like, Jesus, Chris, go on your metaphorical rants again and again and again. What were you saying? Say it again. Say it again. What you? Well, were- I was just saying that our our religion, our state church, our state religion, basically in the United States, is what we call civil religion. It's it's this combination of a kind of general reverence for God and the founding fathers, right. Right. And so, so it's you, there. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So now I remember, which, bring it back to, so why is this question, is religion oppressive important? Um, why is it important with, with you know, a, a, a violence that is animated by, by religious conflict happening right now um, in, in Israel and Palestine that we kind of think about, what does this mean for us? Is that that religion is everywhere. I mean, you just described like it's, it's in our politics in the U S you cannot understand what animates the U S political animal without understanding the role of religion in it. And, and not necessarily, not always an explicit role, but that same kind of energy, that same kind of reach for, for sacred ideals is 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 strong in that religion, and maybe this is yeah, the and we've had a black president in the U.S. and I'm sure we'll have a fe- we've almost had a female president. I mean, that's we're coming close. I'm sure we'll have one soon. Right. I don't know that we'll ever have an atheist president. I don't know that in, in the, at least in my lifetime, if that would be possible. And I think, right, because because it's just it's just part of the fabric, and and maybe this is the maybe this is part of the blind spot for why. You know, over the last five years, like like the the election of Donald Trump was for so many people, oh my God, shocking. Or or in this country, Brexit was oh my God, shocking. Is that we've a lot of us, and I count myself among, have kind of become so wrapped up in in this kind of secular project of 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 what moves the needle, of what is influential um of what 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 drives public choice and decision making we got so caught up in 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 our secular sort of modernity that we've we've kind of lost track of the these pre-modern impulses and, and more than impulses in institutions and and just aspects of ourselves that that you know are 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 there are are part of our consciousness are 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 ready to respond to the messages when the messengers speak them and and so it really does serve us all well to to kind of look around and and look for religion in our institutions in in our organizations in our beliefs in in our lives um 
so that so that we can you be bring, more women. You, yeah, and you bring up Trump. Trump's a great example. There is a guy who is completely religiously illiterate, right? I mean, you know, when they ask him about like one of his favorite Bible verses, he he says, "Well, I like it all." Or you're more <laughs> of an Old Testament or a New Testament guy. Uh, 50 Uh You know, he like, but he knew how to use religion, right? And and my exactly. evangelical friends who are Trump supporters, I mean, a lot of them will just be quite explicit about it. they like that he takes up for their side in the culture war and he lashed out against secular elites and things like this very explicitly it was mm. not it yep. was not dog whistle stuff i mean it was and and he mobilized a lot of religious voters because because again here the, the conflict in the united states is between the godly and the godless or right or the religious and the secular and trump weighed in clearly that i'm on team religion um and if you make me like we're gonna Established rights for you. No, no, your religion is not going to be kicked out of the public square and things like that. And people responded in droves to that. Right. Uh, and, and it was really effective, even though my most of my evangelical friends will admit Donald Trump's not any kind of it doesn't resemble anything anyone would call a Christian. They know that. <laughs> and they're still supportive. Because it's and I think I think that is and it may, it, it's hard to see. But maybe it just helps to believe that it's there until we develop our own evidence base to see it for ourselves. That, you know, Trump is able to do that because the 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 response, like the, in 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 the in the consciousness of the people speaking to, was, was there, ready to respond. Maybe maybe a way to think about it is, you know, if you've ever been kind of in nature and it's that kind of jaw dropping beauty you know, like a sunrise or a sunset or a mountaintop. And and you experience that moment of awe. You know what I mean? Like that, oh my God, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a religious experience. It's a different state of consciousness. And that, that sense of awe was, you know, basically the same sense of awe that ancient shamans would draw upon to, to, you know, to, to guide prehistoric humanity and tribes into ritual. And my point is, it's still there in us. We still respond to it. The fact that it's been millennia doesn't mean that it's not there in us anymore. And, and, and so, you know, all of these, all of these ways of being with the world that were, that are pre-modern, they're still there. Um, it's funny. I have a friend, David Zoll. Um, he's an American kind of writer and thinker and runs this religious organization. But he uh, he wrote a book called Seculosity, which is a really interesting book. But basically, it, it's it's his take on sort of um, secular religion, like the, how, how people replace religion in a secular age with like sports or romance or food culture or these sort of things that people are looking for transcendence. And so he just kind of maps out kind of these modern, uh, and he's working a little off people like Charles Taylor and that kind of work, but he's, you know, kind of maps out the way that people find, engage in religious quests, right? Like, but without some of the depth and resources of traditional religion. Because we just, we, we, we hunger for transcendence. I like that phrase. So, so that would be, and I would love, I would love for for our listener community, we can we can crowdsource this, be a wonderful project together. Just where is all the evidence of religion in 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 our lives, in our daily lives? 
now um, just to become more conscious and aware of, of that dimension of, of how the world works, of how we think, of, of how we interact, of how we judge one another. Um, because in, 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 a, in a secular context, in, 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 in a lot of contexts, you know, is religion oppressive? I think is really a question of, well, how much do you notice what it's doing? Um, the more you're aware of, the more you can choose the role that it plays, that it plays in your life. And this is, this is, I think, I think this is, you know, maybe part of the next, the next step of modernity. Um, you know, if we think about, if we think broadly about sort of the modern experience about um, gaining more and more choices over things that used to be fated, you know, over things that we didn't have choices over. And, and now we do. I think we talked about this last week as well. Um, and we think that now we've, we, we've so dramatically expanded our realm of choice. And, and in some ways, we absolutely have. And in other ways, we are still completely unaware of the choices that we are making. Um, and, and understanding the role of religion, I think is, is, is a part of understanding more of those choices and just becoming, becoming more, more fully free to, to choose who we are. Yeah, no. And I think that it, it, it goes both ways too, right? I think cause some of what we're teasing out here is, is for people in, you know, on our listenership that are non-religious, like, Hey, pay attention to the way religion's manifesting itself. And I would say to the religious observant kind of people listening, I, I, like, I think what it's, it's, it's on the onus of, re, of religious communities to be deliberate in thinking through their role in liberal societies. Right. It like, it, mm. it, 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 it is, I mean, that's, and again, this is what Sachs was so good at. I mean, right. thinking out loud about these kind of roles. And again, I think Pope Francis does a great job at this. And I, I wish more, uh, religious leaders and thinkers w would be more deliberate about thinking how things change in, in a late modern sort of liberal society. And that's because, because the temptation for a lot of people, right, is to be a refuge from modernity, right? This is the, this is your safe space. Kind right. Of thing, right. This which is, I think is just we, completely established the forms and the, and the, the familiarities that you feel are kind of dissolving all around you. Yeah. And that's how traditions die. It, like when, right. when they're not able to, to, to be malleable. I mean, the, 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 I mean, there's a reason why people are at churches and synagogues and mosques and they're not at temples worshiping Zeus or Odin very often. Right. Cause those traditions that would be, be awesome. <laughs> I know it would be we cool. Totally bring it back. It'd be a retro thing. You could start. You can, you're, you're in the U S <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Marvel. All the Marvel superheroes in first church of Thor. Oh my goodness. That's got to be a moneymaker. I mean, not that that's what we're here for. Yeah. I mean, hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a bad side. It, it, it would be all about, you know, salvation and weather management. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have a lot of believers. I, re I, re I really like that. I really like that point. Yeah, exactly. Around, um, you know, for religious communities, there is um, a real like responsibility and, and, and opportunity to, to sort of name your project. And make and make it 
make it a visible project that others can see um, and, and can choose to join and help and help co-create with you because maybe, maybe religion is at its most oppressive when it, when it is a silent influence um, shaping without saying that it's shaping things. Yeah. And like Jonathan Haidt talks about this, right. In, in, in um, the righteous mind in the great, moral psychologist says, you know, that what morality does for us in human evolution is it both binds, it binds and it blinds, right? So it binds you together in a social unit and also blinds you because if we look at, you know, relationships or sex or food or other things this way, then by necessity, we don't look at it that way, right? But in a, in a modern pluralistic culture that how do you how does a community that's traditional responsibility has been binding and blinding evolve, right? To me, to me, to being able to, um, to bind a group of people together and give meaning, but also give them, um, ways to behave in a pluralistic context with shared investment and responsibility. I mean, that to me is, is, is the challenge, right? That to me is where, is where religion could move from something that, move away from some of its worst oppressive past to a more liberative future where, where it becomes a democratic asset where it becomes something that helps people play a role in a democratic society. It doesn't hinder them. I mean, that's, that's the aha moment for me right there of the, of this whole conversation is, you know, here we are in this moment and, and, you know, is religion oppressive? Such a timely question because of the conflict that is underway right now. Um, in Israel and Palestine. And, you know, there are so many people around the world who, who are kind of, you know, and, and we, we began in the beginning by really empathizing with, you know, what can we imagine what it must be like to be in this conflict? But, you know, so many of us who are, are sort of watching it from the outside and, and a lot of a lot of people, I think, are are blaming religion if you will, like, aha, here's Christopher Hitchens was right. Religion is the main source of hatred in the world. I don't know the value of participating in, in that pylon, but how amazing would it be if, if, if we all took this event as, as a, as an impetus, as a catalyst to say, like to one another in our community, hey, we should have a conversation about what is religion for in our community? What is the role of religion in our community? This is the time when we need to be asking ourselves, challenging ourselves that question here. Um, and and in some ways, you know, it feels like oh, that's kind of like that's that's pre-modern. But no, it is, it would be the most, it would be the most radically postmodern thing to do. Absolutely. To recognize that we're not doing that work. We need to do that work. Because if we're not doing that work, then that work is being done to us. Do you watch The Crown? I, I do. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, mean, I live what? in the UK. I mean, it's forced, <laughs> yeah, have to. It's like, it's yeah, forced upon me. It's, yeah, it's like <laughs> taxation. It's, you know, you know the, one of the most meaningful episodes that I, it brought me to tears was when Philip is going through this kind of midlife crisis and he, he's oh, trying right. to find all his meaning in the moon landing and right. all this and stuff. Talks like Buzz Aldrin and it's like, what yeah. were you, what were you thinking? 
right and the astronauts are like you know i don't know like and and then finally he reconnects with these anglican priests who i think set up some kind of retreat center and and there's this you you see this guy um find meaning again and there's this beautiful scene where he's just walking and his arrogance kind of goes away and he's walking dialoguing with this Anglican group of priests and the queen just looks at him and she's just moved that he's, he's been humbled and it changed his public life. And he really, it's funny cause I just had Rowan Williams on the podcast, on my interview podcast. And he said, which is amazing. Yeah, he was <laughs> great. He said when he would go visit, he said, yeah, I visited the queen a few times. And, um, he said Philip would want to argue with him about um, the Greek new Testament. Like Philip read the new Testament in Greek. <laughs> Well, native that's, language that's, for him. I mean, I'm not that impressed. <laughs> that's true. It's, it's a different kind of Greek. But. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, no. But that was a great example of this. I think of of this picture of uh, a religious tradition giving a guy a sense of meaning in public life and how to participate in a more soulful, whole way. And to me, that would be that's the the question that's that's interesting to me. Let's leave it there. There, there, yeah, this was a great conversation as usual. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you, Scott. I mean, what you've really, you've really, and, and thank you to everyone on Clubhouse um, who, who, who helped us. I mean, Ross, Michael, Melanie, I'm going to forget everybody, but just to help us to explore some of these questions together as well. So we're going to be getting together again on Monday, yeah. uh, 9 p.m. London time UK for time. those of you who are, who are Londoners. Um, I think we'll do uh, maybe a reflection on sort of listener listener thoughts and comments and mailbag from from this conversation and think about think about uh, ne- next week's topic, which is going to be is China right? Um, I think that'll be a lot of fun conversation. I've got a lot of interesting stories already. I want to want to share about that, and I think that'll be another really challenging and interesting interesting reflection. And, and maybe world events will, will supersede it and we'll talk about something else. But I'm, I'm really excited to have that conversation with you too. And, and I'm really taking away a lot from, from this one. Somehow, somehow the headlines that, that we have been uh, reading again and again and again for the past week, there's a whole new depth for me of, of what it means for the conversations that I want to have with the people around me. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate, uh, appreciate you for that. And, and as usual, showing off your, um, unassailable knowledge of the Bible. <laughs> I'm not that, mine's quite as trouble. <laughs> trust, trust me. Uh, dude, dude, it's always, uh, it's always a special privilege. So, so have a good yeah. one and uh, you too. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Atlas Project. We'd love to hear your feedback. Drop us a line or send us a message on Facebook. If you really like what we're doing, please rate us on iTunes and write a review. It helps so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks for listening and facing the new world with us.